So now we're going to read the scripture for this morning, and it comes from Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And going to verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincre, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And when they came to Ephesus, he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now jumping to Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and alive in us. God, I pray that your word will pierce our hearts and our minds this morning, that your Holy Spirit um, will be within us, enabling to hear what you want us to hear, um, and just learn and be open to your word and your spirit and your power. I pray that you will speak through Ryan and give him your words and not his own, and that you will guide us into your truth more fully and deeply today. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. The book of Acts is the story of how the disciples that Jesus made went and gave the gospel to the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful story. Now the interesting thing about this is that the forerunners of this mission are all a bunch of single people. So sometimes in the church, you know, we, we say, you know, we don't, we don't like emphasize the role of singles in the mission of the church. I would say the book of Acts probably underemphasizes the role of married people in the mission of the church. And, and Paul would even say, you know, in 1 Corinthians 7, he said, man, I wish everybody was like I am. Um, I, wish, I wish everybody could be as dedicated and singularly focused on the mission of God like I am. But here in Acts 18, we've got this, this specific couple that, that Paul comes up on, Priscilla and Aquila, this husband and wife couple who were very missional in the way that they, they live. Now, you know, I, when you, when you get married, those of you that are married or, or look or hope to be married, you kind of come into it with this idea that's like, man, I bet I can really teach my new spouse some things about following Jesus. It's kind of it's kind of what happens when you go into it. You don't really say that, but that's what you're kind of thinking. And I remember Megan and I initially getting married, 
and uh, we're on the honeymoon. It was great. We get back home, and, and we're like, you know, still kind of honeymoon stage, first year of marriage, and, and we, we get into our 900-square-foot house in North Las Vegas, Nevada, and, and we've got a full-size bed, and I'm thinking, full-size bed, you know, we're lovebirds. This will be fine. Well, literally, guys, the first night we get home, I end up giving her a bloody nose in the middle of the night. I'm not kidding. I, maybe I'm a violent sleeper. I don't know what happened, but she wakes up, and she's, there's blood everywhere. It is a complete mess. Now, this is, this is, the, this is the side of marriage that, that sometimes, you know, people don't talk enough about, right? The two becoming one flesh is an absolute work of the Spirit in every single way. And I have to imagine that there's much of Priscilla and Aquila's story uh, that was like this. In Acts 18, we, we were picking up, and, and Paul and his companions have been taking the gospel to the Macedonian cities of Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, and then they went down to Athens, Greece. And today we pick up in, in Acts 18, and, and uh, in Acts 18, there's these new characters, Priscilla and Aquila. Now, these guys, these guys are actually Jews who lived in Rome, and because they were Jews who lived in Rome, uh, there was this uh, the Emperor Claudius had this decree that Jews had to, to leave Rome if they wanted to keep their life. And so uh, out of religious persecution, they, they, they left, not because they were Christians, but because they were Jews. And so uh, they left, and they, they come down to the city of Corinth, and, and they end up kind of running into Paul while they're in Corinth together. Now, the reason they run into each other is because, uh, one, they're, they're both believers, um, and two, they're both tent makers. Uh, and so you know, they would have been in the marketplace, and tent making is a very physically intensive job. You know, cutting, you know, large skins and, and things and making, you know, using knives and stretching things and sewing through, you know, fabric and, and animal skins and all that kind of stuff to make these, these tents that would endure. And so they're rubbing shoulders together, and, and they, they really hit it off uh, in, in a good way where Priscilla and Aquila decide, hey, Paul, why don't you come and stay with us? You're new into town. We've got a place here. Why don't you come and stay uh, with us? And so he, the, the scriptures tell us in, in Acts 18 that he actually spent 18 months in Corinth uh, with Priscilla and Aquila. I mean, can you imagine? Have you ever had an old friend or, or a friend come over uh, and stay with you and, uh, and you put the kids to bed and, and, and you're, you're hanging out late night, maybe over a coffee or tea or something and and you're just talking about life. Could you imagine sitting there with Paul for 18 months, being discipled by him, just in his spare time in the evening? Can you imagine what your, how your life would have changed how the Holy Spirit might use a guy like that? Well, it becomes obvious that God has really used Paul in their lives. And, and how does that become obvious? Uh, because they follow him everywhere he goes after that, basically. Um, they're so touched by the gospel that they... They left with Paul when he left Corinth 18 months later, and, and, and they packed up and they headed to Ephesus with him. Now, now when, in, when in Ephesus, this brother comes up, his name is Apollos, and I mean, I, I, I picture Apollos uh, to be a real orator of God's word. I mean, like a Billy Graham type of a presence. Like, he is just, he is just a really good speaker, really compelling from up front. He can just draw a crowd, he can draw attention. And so, but the message that he's preaching is interesting, and when we pick up on this in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 18, 24, um, the message that he's preaching is interesting because uh, he, he, had been, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, but he knew only of the baptism of John. So what's that mean? He didn't know about the gospel. 
He knew that people were supposed to repent, and so he's telling them, repent, repent, repent. But he didn't know about the power for obedience. He wasn't teaching that part of it. So, so it's coming out saying, hey, you guys got to turn around. Your lives are going to shams. You're never going to be with God if you keep living this way. And, and then, so what happens in the middle of this? Priscilla and Aquila hear him. Now, they're not, they're not preachers or apostles or anything like that. They, they hear him, and they, they come alongside him. They pull him aside, and, and they simply tell him, hey, um, the scriptures say they explained the way of God uh, more fully to him. They told him about the power of the Holy Spirit and, and how God was planting his church. And they told him about the gospel. I mean, think about that. So they pull him aside. And then the scriptures say, Apollos then went from there to other places and had great impact in the kingdom. So we see, this, we see glimpses of this couple. 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 19, the churches of Asia, Ephesus. Uh, send you greetings, Paul says, Aquila and, and, and Prisca, that's a short for Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings. So they're, they're following Paul everywhere they're going, and, and wherever they've got a house, the church is there. Now, Romans 16, 3 and 4, Paul's writing this, uh, this letter to the church in Rome toward the end of his ministry, and he says, at the end of the, 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 kind of the, the, the letter, he says, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Guys, this couple impacted the world through the way that they served Jesus together. Paul, Paul says, not just, hey, give thanks, hey, it's great to see y'all, thanks for letting me stay with you for those, that year and a half. No, the Gentile churches in the world... New City Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, gives thanks for Aquila and Priscilla. Think about that. Think about the way the Holy Spirit lived through their marriage. So today you're getting where I'm going. I want to talk about marriage today. I want to talk about the mission of marriage. I want to talk about how the gospel works through marriage. Think about Priscilla. Priscilla is a very strong and gifted woman. Church, a lot of times we don't know what to do with strong and gifted women, right? Amen? There's a couple of people who say that. Yeah, we don't know what to do, right? In this marriage we see Priscilla and Aquila. A lot of times her name is mentioned before Aquila's name, which would have been totally out of the box for this Jewish culture. She, she, probably, she probably was a very good speaker, uh, she probably had some really good upfront gifts, but she she knew how she and Aquila knew how to operate in the context of their marriage and the guidelines of the scriptures. And so Aquila, there's sometimes that Aquila lets he kind of lets uh, Priscilla come into her role in the marriage, and that looks like him stepping aside and giving her a, a space in the in the spotlight there. And other times, I'd imagine Aquila probably dies to herself, or Priscilla dies to herself a little bit, and Aquila steps up. I mean. One of the things we know about Aquila is this, is that he was no pushover. He wasn't just like Adam, you know, letting his wife take the free. He wasn't a pushover. Church history tell, tells us that Aquila uh, was likely one of the first bishops of Asia Minor. This couple, they were both very strong, gifted people in Jesus. And they loved one another deeply. And the Gentile church <laughs> thanks the Lord for them. They were go-getters who knew how to live in harmony with one another. And when we look at the scriptures, I think we see a bunch of principles about how we live missionally 
in our marriage and how God lives missionally with us and, and what that means for everything. So big idea of where we're going today is this, church. The purpose of marriage is mission. The purpose of marriage is mission. Now, this is a little bit of a catchy title here, and I want to first tell you uh, what I am not saying with this. Um, Pete Scazzaro in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, talks about this idea of leading out of the strength of your marriage. Now, and he recalls uh, a youth speaker when he was in his 20s, he was single, he wanted to be married. Um, he recalls a youth speaker saying this, and, and Megan and I have actually had people say the same thing to us. If you're going to marry, make sure that you marry someone that doubles your ministry and doesn't cut it in half. I just think about that statement. It's, it sounds pretty interesting on its face, but think about the damaging, utilitarian uh, foundation that that statement is made on. That marriage is really only about advancing the gospel outside. So, man, you better make sure that they've got all these gifts that you don't have so we can really go forward with this. That might be part of what marriage is about, but if you base your whole marriage on that, it is not going to work, I promise. So fast forward in Pete Scazzaro's life, he took, that, he took that, uh, those words and he ran with it. Eight years into his marriage, he's planted this thriving church in Brooklyn, in New York City. And, and uh, his wife comes up with him one, uh, to him one day, and this church is like a thousand people at this point. And, and she says, you know, Pete, her name's Jerry, he said, Pete, I think it's best if we separate. Because at least then you'd see the kids on the weekends. You see the danger of thinking through your marriage only as a as purpose for outside of your of your of your marriage, no internal focus. So I think there's two ditches in the way that we view mission and marriage. On, on the one side, if we've got this inward focused mission that idolizes marriage, that idolizes our relationship uh, with one another, and we make it only about ourselves and what satisfies us, and we give no consideration to other people in the world or in our lives, um, you end up dying on the vine. Because it makes marriage predominantly about you, and God's plan uh, is merely a footnote in your plan. A marriage that only exists for itself is not a Christian marriage. Christ came for the church because God so loved the world, and your marriage, church, is for the sake of the world. That's why Jesus gave it to you. Now, on the other side of the ditch, that's one side, the inward-focused marriage. The other side is this, the outward, the only outward-focused marriage, the one that, that Pete Scazzaro and Jerry wrestled with. And it's, it's really only about, maybe not even like the missionary cause of the world, but, but, but maybe about the domestic duties, the outward responsibilities. You know, something like she takes care of the kids and I make the money. I mow the grass, she does the laundry. We serve in the church, we give to the kingdom, we go on vacation, bada bing, bada boom. It's the outward focused marriage. There's nothing special or intentional about doing anything with one another. We never really cherish each other, we're just playing the roles, procreating, doing life together, roommates, ships passing in the night. So the tension to pursue is between these two ditches by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul leads us 
into this. It's this inside-out marriage that says marriage has the potential to have an amazing amplification of the gospel to our hearts and the world. It's, it's a relationship where you get to see the microcosms of the transformational power of the gospel in this relationship. And, and it's not just for ourselves, it is for ourselves, but it's for the world to see today. So that's where I want to go with this. So let me tell you three ways that marriage is a mission. Three ways that marriage is a mission. I'm going to tell you what they are, and then I'm going to go back and tell you more about that. The first one is this, marriage is a mission to us. Marriage is a mission to us to further convince us of the love of God in Christ. Secondly, marriage is a mission through us. It's a display of the love of Christ for sinners to the world. And lastly, marriage is a mission that becomes complete. Jesus will finish the mission. So let's dig into that first point here. Marriage is a mission uh, to us. So, so think about the Garden of Eden. Uh, God has been on a mission to show us and convince us of his unconditional love since day one of creation. Before sin ever enters into the world, he sees that his love and his life could be better expressed in the context of two genders, of a husband and a wife. And so he creates not one person, but two people. And the way that he even creates, creates them, he shows the interdependency that's necessary to make sense of God in a relationship. Just because he creates Eve from Adam's rib doesn't, it doesn't mean anything about their, their identity and their standing before God. It just means that they're meant to fit together. Now, and so, as we see that in, 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 uh, in, in Genesis, is that, that, that his desire is for us to delight in him as we share life uh, with one another. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful occasion whenever I get to officiate a wedding. And, you know, God was the first officiant of the wedding in Genesis. Uh, it's a beautiful occasion. I mean, think about it like this. What other occasion do you have all of your friends, all of your family together in one place for a good reason? Am I right? What other occasion? A wedding. People will make time for it. They'll travel for it. They'll get together for that. And I, I officiated the first wedding that I ever officiated was in Indianapolis. It was this great couple, Craig and Maggie, and we were in downtown Indianapolis, and I, I had just officiated a wedding. I'm a little, like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Because the, the couple asked me, so how many of these have you done? I said, none yet, but um, we can figure it out, you know. And they're kind of like, oh, okay. And so, like, I'm telling them all of these things confidently you know, with confidence, and I'm kind of second-guessing it in the back of my head. Anyway, I officiate the wedding, and bride and groom, you know, kiss, they're walking down, we're going to the reception, and this couple comes up to me that's from California, and um, they say to me, uh, you know, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm Craig's uncle or whatever, and he said, you know, I just noticed something about your, your ceremony that you just officiated. He said, you barely mention anything about these two people in your ceremony. It's almost like they were a footnote to God. And I'm thinking, uh, and then I paused, and I waited for a second, and he said, that was so refreshing. That was, that was so refreshing to hear. And what they meant was this, that, that it was a God-centered ceremony and it, for a God-centered marriage, that, that the two people there were merely a footnote to God's story of redemption. That they would be the means that God's story of redemption would play out to one another and to the world now that, that God has chosen them to, to kind of be on this path of, 
of marriage. Now, if you've got a Bible, let's, let's flip over to Ephesians 5, because in Ephesians 5, Paul goes back and he quotes Genesis 2. He, he quotes that, that first marriage, and he gives some commentary on it, and then he gives some really practical things. Now, I want you to think about this. Guys, this is a single guy giving us a lot of good wisdom about marriage. You know why? Because marriage is more about God than tips and tricks. It's more about a relationship with God than anything else. This is why one of my best friends who's single in his mid-30s, lives in Kentucky, he gives me some of the best advice and counsel and wisdom about marriage because he knows Jesus deeply. And he has that role in my life. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, let's start in verse 18 before we get to the, the, the wives and hub, husbands specific language. Verse 518, you, you can't get past any of the rest of this without that. Uh, Paul says this in Ephesians 5, 18. He's, he's, he's saying, you know, basically in, in verse 15, be careful how you walk, not as wise, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of your time. He's like, don't be foolish, um, don't get drunk, don't give in to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with God in your relationships with everything, is what he's saying. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be filled with the Spirit as we seek Him and He pours Himself out among us. Like that's His promise to us is that He'll be with us, He'll give Himself to us, and we'll know that He's God and we're His people. That's His promise. Now, the, everything else that comes after this is kind of commentary on what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit in marriage. And then He goes on to Ephesians 5, uh, 22 and following. So I want to I flip over to 31 through 33 here. So we don't have a ton of time here. I just, I just want to emphasize. I want to read Ephesians 5, 31 through 33. And I want you to hear the echoes of Genesis in this. And then the, the, just the uber practical wisdom that Paul gives us for how to live out this mission together. He says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That's straight out of Genesis 2. That's nothing new to us. It's still profound. And then he says this, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife See that she respects her husband. So just when we thought that the Bible was all about us, we find out that from the very beginning, even before sin entered the world, the universe was all about Jesus Christ. The whole thing. A lot of times we think that uh, we can bolt on some gospel principles to our marriage and maybe we'll be happy. No. What, what this tells us is that from the beginning, the plan was Jesus, and marriage was just the way that, he, that God was going to show us Jesus. The whole thing's always been about Jesus. A new expression of God's mission to us is born in marriage. We're no longer just sons and daughters of this tribe and that tribe, this family and, and that family, but we have to part with that to some degree. And you know what that takes? faith for God to create one new person out of two. Isn't that a picture of what happens when you become a Christian? You're a sinner 
And you're united to Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now you're fused to God forever. Through faith. It's a picture, a microcosm, what you see in, in, in marriage. And he says, you know, this mystery is profound. We, we, we can't make sense of it. And sometimes, those of you that are married, you kind of get this mystery piece. Because at the end of the day, you've done all that you can do. You've served your heart out. You've loved well. But the two of you just kind of fall into bed together, half tired, and say, man, this is a mystery, isn't it? This is a mystery. What is God doing through this circumstance, through this situation in our kids? And this is a mystery, but somehow we know that this covenant that God has made with us and the covenant we make with one another in light of that covenant, that God is working through it. You can't figure out, but somehow you know, because God's promises don't change, they're immutable, that God is working. And you know what your marriage becomes? It becomes like a, a billboard, a, a neon sign to the world that says this, God loves sinners. Look at these two. God loves sinners. We know this because we're not staying married because we're compatible. Guess what? None of us are compatible that are married. The only thing that makes you and your spouse compatible is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why a marriage that's based on hobbies and common interests and, and concerts and all those things that, that are great to enjoy ultimately will crumble if Jesus is not the bedrock of it. God's primary purpose in marriage is a mission to us. Now, now he, he shares this word in Ephesians 5. So he's saying... You know, this mystery is profound. It's really about Christ and the church. It's never, it's never really been about two people. But then he says this, however, there's something really special that happens in that union. There's a real special part and in in an, in an influence and an impact that the two, those two people can have on each other because it's God's mission to us. He says, however, and he shows us this tension. It's not all about one another. It's not all about what a what, what people can do for God, but the mystery is this, is that God reveals His love and grace to the world through this window of marriage to us. So He gives two, two practical things here. He says, husbands, what's He say? Husbands, love your wife as yourself. He knew, Paul knows how selfish we are, okay? He said, if you could just give a couple ounces of that love you have for yourself to your wife, your marriage will be golden. And every wife said amen under their breath. And then he says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now what, is this, what does this show us? I think it shows us kind of an ecosystem of marriage. That husbands desire to be respected for their wife. And, but, but, but the world says, here's how you get respected. You just demand it. You just say, woman, you got to respect me. And that goes real well, right? No, it gets nowhere. It's not, not good. That's not... So husbands, deep inside of you, there's this longing to be respected because God has made you, and He's made you the head of this household and this family, and you're not perfect, and everybody in your household can see everything wrong with you. But somehow, you just feel, there's, just want the respect of your family. God knows that about you. God knows that about you. And he says, listen, if you, if you want that felt need of being respected, here's how you get it. 
you lay down your wife, you lay down your life for your wife and for your family. You love them as you love yourself. Like, don't seek respect. Seek to give yourself away through love. And that's how you will in turn be respected. Now, wives likewise, they deserve to feel love. Not just cheesy Hallmark cards on Valentine's Day or flowers when you really blow it, which those are, those are good momentary fixes sometimes. I'm not, I do that too. Um, but your wife deserves to, to feel loved. She doesn't want to just hear that you love her. She wants to feel that you love her. Through the time that you spend, through the way that you sacrifice. Sacrifice is the way that you, you see love. In fact, this is what the way that the Bible describes love, right? Unconditional love is sacrifice. Giving up what you would desire for the, for the betterment and the good of someone else. That's, that's self-sacrificial love. If you want that respect, husbands, love your wife as you love yourself. Ladies, if you want to be loved, he says, just respect your husband. Megan and I came um, early, we were married for a year and a half probably. We had this couple that we were sharing life with. They were neighbors of ours, served on our student ministry team. And, 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 um, and the husband just, he was just always bashing his wife. Not, I love this guy uh, to death. He was just always bashing her. He would tell you the same thing today. And, and one day Megan said, well, you know, that's not really how you should be talking about your wife to us. <laughs> I was like, ooh, all right, all right, okay. And so, you know, there was a conversation I was there with it, and, and that, the whole idea is this, is that uh, he wasn't loving his wife. He wasn't laying down himself for his wife. He was, he was calling out all of her weaknesses among other people. Is, is that how you get respect? No. The bottom line is women desire to be loved and feel that love. Men desire to be respected. And the way that you get to that is by both of you dying to yourself and giving that away. And then, then you have this picture of love. You have this, this love that you can feel. So your, your marriage will then be a, a kind of a kingdom trailer for others to, to get a front row seat to the gospel in action. So on your next date night, if you're, if you're married in here or dating, um, let me just throw a question out for you to ask. Maybe you just ask each other, hey, how am I doing... Uh, fellows, maybe ask your wife, how am I doing at loving you more than I'm loving myself? Can you just tell me how I'm doing in that and maybe any ways that you think I could maybe do a little better at that? And, and wives, you might ask in, in a similar fashion, do you, do you feel that I really respect you um, for who you are and uh, who God's made you to be? And, and that question might break down a lot of barriers in your marriage if it's done in humility. So that's the first thing. Marriage is a mission to us. The second thing is this. Marriage is a mission through us. It's a display of the love of Christ for sinners to the world. You know, typically we view marriage as this isolated thing. You know, I've got my own life here. And I, I might take seasons out of my marriage, out of my relationship with my wife and my family to do these ministry things to give myself away to other people, but then I'm going to hop back into my marriage and we're going to keep trucking in our own lane over here. You see, that, that uh, dualism that we see is, is not something that we get from the Bible, okay? And we see this from Priscilla and Aquila. It's, it's, like, it's like they're just loving life, doing their job. They're working their nine to five on the tent making in the marketplace, but oh, by the way, they've got this church in their house, and, and by the way, it changed the face of the world, how they love Jesus, and and how they followed uh, disciple or Paul. I mean, God's just doing this beautiful thing. And, and our temptation is to make marriage about compatibility and, and, and personal uh, 
fulfillment in it. And I would say if you base a marriage on that, you'll probably never find it. Because you're, you're anticipating that you're going to be the same person five years from now. And you're not going to be. Because what happens when the two become one is you both change. You both change. You're not going to look the same 10, 20 years down the road that you did if you base your whole relationship on physical appearance and, and beauty. You know, you're not going to have the same mannerisms. Kids are going to change your relationship. And Jesus knows it all. That's why He gives us the Holy Spirit. And so, when we base it on just these, these physical principles and best practices and self-helpisms, uh, we're going to really miss the forest for the trees. Because it's God that holds the marriage together, and it's God that loves to work through the marriage. I was... Megan and I were doing premarital counseling with a, with a couple this week, Amanda and Jared, and um, what, what? And um, Amanda said something that was like just, we thought, the, the truth is we thought Tim Keller said it, but Tim Keller did say it was Amanda. It was awesome. So, uh, we, uh, I, so I'm going to quote Amanda on this. Amanda said this, I feel like marriage is about two people standing shoulder to shoulder looking out at something so much greater than themselves. Isn't that true? Married couples, you need, to, you need to learn from Amanda on that. That's what it is. Marriage is about two people standing shoulder to shoulder. They're linked in. They're locked in by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're looking out at something so much bigger than they thought marriage was about. The gospel. The gospel to one another. The gospel through one another. You know, marriage, that we'll see. I'm, I'm going flip to flip your Bible over Philippians 2 here in a second. But... Marriage is a, is a crucible. Do you know what a crucible is? A crucible is like a, like physically speaking, it's like a container that you would put maybe a few different types of metals into and you would, you would melt them and, 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 and out of that would come something new that didn't exist before. Um, so it's a situation where different elements interact creating something new. We think about crucible in, in terms of something negative, but it's something that's really beautiful. Like what will come out of marriage by the power of the Holy Spirit is something totally different than you anticipated. It's the cross, right? It, it, it's the cross. Marriage is the way that the cross has greatest impact on people that are married. I mean, think about this. The cross is central to our faith because it's where... God's wrath, God's justice, God's love, God's mercy, all meet in one place. His wrath against sin, His love for humanity, they meet in the cross. And the only way that it's possible for all of those things to be true about anyone is through faith in the resurrected Jesus. That we could stand before God and say, no, God has been perfectly just with me. He's given me everything that I deserve because He's given it to Jesus. He's given me all of His delight because my obedience is the obedience of Christ. The cross is the crucible of any Christian's life. And the cross happens to be on display most for those of you that are married right in the midst of your marriage. Because it's where you get shoulder to shoulder and someone sees all of the proclivities and nuances that you didn't want anyone else to see. The fact that you leave the toilet seat up and that you, that you don't know how to cook macaroni and cheese. That's me. Uh, and that you, you have this impulsive spending habit where you'll go out and buy a car without asking your wife or praying about it. That's me. 
Um, you got all these things that are just rough edges, man. It's just like, ugh. But when you get to the centerpiece of this marriage, which is the cross, we're called to come and die so that we can live. The only way a marriage really thrives is through the cross. Let's, let's look at Philippians 2 real quick. Philippians 2 verses 4 through 11, this is Paul writing to the, the church uh, in, in Philippi. And, and what he's really writing about is, uh, is the impact of the cross and how Jesus bore the cross. And I would say this, that the cross might even, we might even say it's, a, it's, it's the icon of marriage. Um, a bloody Middle Eastern man hanging from a Roman cross is what marriage is really about. Listen to Philippians chapter 2. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which already is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That means he didn't play the, hey, I'm King Jesus card. He didn't play that. He could have, would have been perfectly just, Perfectly, he could have done that, but he didn't. Why? Because we needed the cross. He goes on to say this. But he emptied himself. The Greek word there is kenosis. This self-emptying. This, this not tapping into the things. This humility that you could have tapped into for the sake and the betterment of other people. He empties himself by taking on the form of a servant, even though he's a king. And being born in the, the likeness of men. And being found in human form... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. You see, death couldn't hold him down. He had to become obedient to death. He had to come under the law because we are cursed under the law. And, and he did that and he became obedient to death. And, and, and even death on a cross. Because you know what Galatians 3 says? Which is quoting the Old Testament. That anyone who, anyone who dies, who's crucified, is cursed. He, guys, he became a curse for us. We've talked about this before. He becomes a curse for us. Because the cross is the centerpiece. You've got to do something with the cross. You can't just walk by it. Because he says, I did this for you. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The cross has one central message for you and for me. You must die before you can live. Where else do you see that prominently displayed? In the middle of a marriage. There's no better place to die than in a marriage. We die to ourselves so that we can see that the only way we can ever live is through Jesus. Your marriage is a gift to the world. Because nothing uproots, exposes the nearsighted, selfish, and simple priorities of our world like marriage. It's a magnifying glass. Tim Keller, he does say this. This is him, by the way, not Amanda. Um, if two spouses each say, I'm going to treat my self-centeredness as the main problem in the marriage, you have the prospect of a truly great marriage. It's that whole mentality of, you know, the plank and the speck. You know, before you go, someone said, ah, you got a little speck. You know, you didn't clean the bathroom up this morning. You should probably look at the plank in your eye that you're walking around with, the fact that you haven't taken your wife out on a date and 
for six months. You know? So whenever you have a, a, a conflict, a, a rub in your relationship, I, w- I want you to put this into play. To think about yourself as the problem instead of the answer. God, God says uh, through Philippians 2 that this, it's kind of the way to the healthy marriage that really displays um, the message of, of Jesus. So lastly, I want to land the plane here. Marriage is a mission that becomes complete. Jesus will finish the mission. So there's this scene in a movie that, that I like. Uh, it's called Jerry Maguire. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so in, in this movie, um, there's the, it's got you know Renee Zellweger and, and Tom Cruise. And they work together um, um, you know, in this, in this kind of competitive business of... Um, of kind of helping, you know, athletes get contracts and things like that. And so, sports agents. Um, and uh, he comes over to her house one night because he's really just been, you know, wanting uh, to take her out and, and be in a relationship with her. And he comes in and he says in this really just emotional, kind of emotionally charged scene, he says, you know, we live in a cynical world. And we do very hard business he looks at her and he says, you complete me. I love you. And she says, shut up. You had me at hello. (laughs) It's this big emotionally charged scene that describes a little bit about what we feel in marriage. There's this this sentiment that I don't want to take away from because God has made us with feelings and emotions and they're real and we need to listen to them but they need to be informed by what the scriptures tell us about these things. And so what what he describes there is this, hey, you complete me piece, is a part of the theology of marriage that the Bible describes, but it is not the full picture of the theology. Because really, if we base our marriages on trying to complete one another and, 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 and trying to make one another happiness and that being the source and the fuel of, of our lives, our marriage is going to last about 10 days. Right? We're going to let each other down pretty, pretty quickly. Marriage is not the goal, but it is a means to sanctifying us. And it's a beautiful means where we get to have children and share life deeply with someone. And I know for some of you, it, it can be terrifying to think um, that you're not going to have your spouse in eternity. I was talking with, with a friend this week about this. Because Matthew 22.30 says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. So guess what? You are not going to be married in heaven. That that terrifies some of us. Think about it. I'm going to be all alone. Here's Here's the beauty of it all, though. The things that you love about your marriage, the things that you feel and do and love about your relationship with your wife or your husband, all of those things are the fingerprints of God on your marriage. It's a way for Him to show His love to you. Not only are you going to have that in heaven, you're going to have more because you're not going to have all the things that you don't like about marriage. All the sin. That's all going to be gone. Because marriage is really the means to connect us deeply, fully, and eternally to Jesus Christ who will fulfill us all. Amen? Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 19 because marriage is this beautiful means that carries us to Jesus. Revelation 19, this is beautiful. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! 
For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready, the church. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. How does God describe eternity as a marriage? That we will be married and wed to Jesus forever as his bride, as his church. And this this beautiful picture is this. I mean, when you get that invitation in your mailbox, it's going to be unlike anything Pinterest has ever come up with, all right? You get this invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You're not going to say, oh, I'm too busy for that. You're going to show up because guess what? The wedding celebration is never going to end. It's never going to end. Because we're going to be with Jesus forever, which means that we will be in perfect relationship with our Father in heaven forever. There will be no more brokenness, no more tears. We will be with Jesus forever. Church, the purpose of marriage is mission. And Jesus will complete his mission to carry us home. Let's pray together. Our Father, we we thank you for this gift of marriage that you give to us. I, I thank you. For all the folks that are in this room today, whether they are you know, physically married to someone else or they're spiritually married to you, Lord, I just ask that you would give us a sense of fullness and completeness in our journey wherever we're at. Lord, I pray we'd be open to what you want to show us through this covenant that you've given to many of us in the room. And I pray that we wouldn't be selfish with your gospel that you're displaying. Would you use us in the midst of this world and this community like you used Priscilla and Aquila to bless the world through how the gospel was displayed in their marriage. So Jesus, thank you for this time together today. Thank you for the gospel. Amen.